0: Yes, we have to do more to defend Ukraine. Yes, we have to do more also on tanks. But the most important and the crucial part is that we do it together, and that we do not do the blame game in Europe because we are fighting a war against Russia and not against each other. Thank you. Today, I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine the equivalent of one Ukrainian battalion. Secretary Austin has recommended this step because it will enhance the Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. The U.K., the United Kingdom, recently announced that it's donating Challenger 2 tanks to Ukraine. France is contributing AMX-10s, armored fighting vehicles. In addition to the Leopard tanks, that Germany, like the United States, is also Germany is also sending a, pat- a Patriot missile battery. The Netherlands is donating a Patriot missile and launchers. France, Canada, the U.K., Slovakia, Norway, and others have all donated critical air defense systems. Poland is sending armored vehicles. Sweden is donating infantry fighting vehicles. Italy is giving artillery. Denmark and Estonia are sending howitzers. Latvia is providing more Stinger missiles. Lithuania is providing anti-aircraft guns. And Finland recently announced its largest package of security assistance a day. All to help counter Ukraine's brutal aggression that's happening because of Russia. Evelyn, are you seeing um,
1: any places that you think regimes are faltering? We have a lot of authoritarian leaders out there. Uh, Putin, are you seeing any signs of cracks in terms of stability there? Could that be a surprise, you know, a, a 2023 surprise? North Korea. Any place that you're looking at in terms of a potential regime change that could destabilize a region or or the world? Well, obviously, a big one would be Russia, but I don't think they're on the precipice there. Um, I think things have to get worse economically, and there have to be many more body bags and, uh, frankly, military losses before there's a change in the government in, in Moscow.
2: Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co teacher and socialist, Andy Lipson, and writer teacher, Jessica. Uh, we're online at what'sleftpodcast.com. Uh, you can find that link to our blog in the episode notes. Uh, and you can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at PKE on Instagram for Kenny Cepeda. And Jessica's Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Please subscribe, rate a you, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode where we found this episode. Thank you. Right. So we are discussing today. We'll be discussing the uh, <clears throat> uh, the war in Ukraine, the war that's happening in Eastern Europe. Uh, this is an ongoing episode that I uh, ongoing episode that we've been having on um, Ukraine, Russia, NATO, the USA's involvement, and I think that unlike other media sources or unlike other YouTube channels or other podcasts, I think we discuss it in a very different light. I appreciate Andy for having sent us some information that we'll be discussing and uh we'll have the links to it in the description below. Uh but we'll be giving our thoughts on the ever evolving and long, I think over now 10 months of this war in Ukraine that's been going on. It's almost so, a
1: year, isn't it? February? It's almost a one year anniversary you're right yes. i said
2: yeah. almost 10 months i said yeah you're right yeah. i think the article that i read that you sent andy said 10 months and it was written in november so yeah i thought 10 months then uh, but you're right jess it will be it will be a year yeah easy so i mean andy you you seem to find relevance in in the reasons why we t- discussed this i don't know why um maybe you could share from there uh, what's your take on it or what you would
3: like to uh, further discuss? Yeah, I mean, we had that episode where we talked about what are the things that we kind of pay most attention to. Um, and, uh, you know, Eduardo, you brought up politics in Mexico. Um, uh, Jessica, why did we think <laughs> we said it was about pedos for you? But that's not what you're paying attention to. You, you were, you were, you were, you this were watching something that was, <laughs> was taking place with regards to like, um, can you remind me what, what it was that you were following? I
1: don't, I have no recollection of this, of what, yeah, I think you're referring to something specific. Oh, it was like three different, I thought you were talking about our Ukraine episode, and I was like, no, oh, no. I don't remember bringing up the like, relationship no, no, Ukraine, no. although I don't like, you know, Hunter was over there and stuff, right. but, uh, Anyway, okay, yes, it was. I can't remember, but it was something along. Well, the she
2: form. was. She, I remember. She was talking about feminist issues, but also like UK politics because it's something we yeah. don't. Sometimes we don't focus on that side yes. of the world. Yeah. And so she brought up at that time an organization that is in the UK that made some headlines that oh mermaids.
1: didn't make it here mm-hmm. mermaids. mermaids that's what it was oh, yeah. okay 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 but
2: your 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 side or your lens or your you tend to focus on that or you it's part of your within the scope of what you look at yeah
1: okay sorry (laughs) so long
3: yeah (laughs) i mean and so so this thing I, i i mean i just have to say i'm i'm sort of infatuated with following this conflict because i have gone from thinking way back in our last episode back in february i think it was february of last year, going like this ain't going to happen. To uh, what you said when it did happen, Jessica, this is World War Three, and I was like, I she's probably right. But really, well, I, I have come to the belief that it's like I'm, I'm obsessed with watching what how this unfolds, um, and and seeing if it's going to unfold in the way that it, I think it might unfold if. Marx to, if Marx is right about capitalism because if Marx is right about capitalism, this doesn't end well if, unless we have a revolution um so that's so in with that obsession um which I talked about last time, occasionally there are things events that take place and things that I read and things that I find that I'm going like I have to share with Eduardo and Jessica and if Kenny were here although he's he's on leave for right now and some people asked about where he's at and he's just on leave and he'll be back later um. I, I just want to share these things with you and see what y'all make of it and then share together what, what's well, I, and share to you what, what I see in this and then see what, what you make of what I'm saying, what I'm saying, you know, um, just sort of collaborating in this way intellectually so I can better under, so I can get a better understanding of what, what do I think is really going on? Um, because like I said, the, the thing that's hard about this is just like, so they said that, covid was super dangerous and it was not they said the vax was super effective and safe and effective and it literally is the opposite they said rush you know they had the russiagate thing where trump was a manchurian candidate for and it, it was the opposite um and so i think there's a similar thing going on here where the mainstream narrative is ukraine is taking a, Russia is taking a beating from Ukraine with the support of the West. And I think the truth is the opposite again. And that's what I want to discuss with you all. And and what, and what I think that means, um, because, and I guess I will say my punchline is that these people who I'm reading, I think their, their, their insight is valuable to me. Um, but they think that this ends with Russia winning the war and Ukraine losing and Russia just sweeping over. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be easy, but they see that's what's happening. And I think that is actually true in terms of where things are moving. But I don't think Russia wins this war. And I'm going to talk about why I would say that. Be, you know, so. so I will share from just like
2: what I have heard on mainstream news in comparison to what I find in my reflections over the things you have shared with us. Um, because you know i I do listen to KPFA, which is my local station, and uh, they have found uh, they have found listeners going against their their going up against their 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 news or their coverage. and they find that they've been disingenuous and as a longstanding uh, anti-war kind of station and so they, they they're getting a lot of calls i've noticed and so i think for me what's interesting is how much the callers are calling in which is on you know unfiltered and then versus what's being shared on the station and so that's where i'm getting my mainstream news from currently uh and i and in, in contrast what you're sharing uh, so I, i'd like to that's where i think i'll do my share
1: yeah, I mean I feel like this whole war, well, like the past year, I don't know, it's definitely highlighted like for me to myself truly how skeptical I am of literally any media source because I I mean I I truly like do not know what to believe. And I mean that's the case for for anything like I think we've all trained ourselves pretty well especially since COVID but yeah I mean I don't know there's been a lot of focus right these past couple of I guess days or a couple of weeks on like the actual weapons and artillery right um in t- in terms of like literal warfare that's going on so I, I guess I, I like I view it I'm viewing it through, probably above everything else, I'm viewing it through the information warfare lens, like on a global scale. Um, And I guess, I mean, I guess information warfare is working when somebody like me like literally doesn't know what to believe or just... I don't know. It's like, it's very easy, honestly, just to kind of dismiss. Like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of impressed of like how, how obsessed as you put it, Andy, you are. Um, because I think when you're, when you're so skeptical, like it is, it's a lot easier just to like, not even, not even really look into it and you obviously can't be looking into everything at once, but yeah, I mean, and then, so information warfare, the two articles that you sent focus a lot on like warfare tactics, artillery on the ground. What weapons does who need, and what you know areas are strategically important for whichever side to capture. Um, so I don't really know what to think. I mean, I don't have military strategy uh, training, and I don't have uh, uh, much idea of that. You know, I've never been to that area of the world, but. Yeah, I mean, so, like, these tanks are going going over, right? Um, and I, like, just on the World War, sorry, I'm, like, jumping around a lot. No, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll stop and let you guys um, jump in. But, you know, last year, Biden literally said if we start sending tanks and and, like, that level of, material shit like that's called world war 3 like he had said that almost word for word um and yet here we are so i don't know i think he said last weekend you like we're we're in it we are already in world war 3 um and i do think i'm sure we'll talk about you know as we always do with this issue for good reason like the nuclear threat aspect of it um, which I heard, the other day I was listening to Whitney Webb on something. maybe it was her own um, maybe it was unlimited hangout, like the her own podcast, I think. And she said something that really kind of struck me um and i she wasn't I don't think she was arguing that this is going to happen. I think she was rather just sort of floating this as a something that is not beyond the realms of possibility that i mean obviously we would all be terrified of the literal reality of a of somebody using a nuclear weapon but she she was like you know their their propaganda war and information war is so robust and extreme um and so much of the at least the american public seems to or at least i don't know on the on the left i guess in the mainstream seems to eat it up to the point where She was like, you know, they could very easily convince a good portion of the American public and, you know, probably the NATO country public that a nuclear weapon was used, you know, for instance, by Russia without it actually even happening, which I thought I was like, man, I I kind of agree. Like, they could probably pull that off. Um, I mean, just think of like all the psyops the past couple of years um so it is i don't know yeah it's just i feel like this war is being carried out on so many different levels which i mean i guess that's the case for any war but i guess i'll yeah i'll stop there for now
2: the way that i have been listening to this is through the uh, through just like listening to what like mainstream what people in, in the on the left say is mainstream like cnn and then fox And then listening to it on the side of what alternative news pretends to be. I think now I don't, uh, (laughs) Democracy Now!, APFA, Upfront. uh, uh, Let's see, you know, even just like even just uh, the mainstream, I would say leftists like uh, Ralph Nader and everyone else that is on the left of of these alternative media sources that are, and these are the ones that are not as uh, um, challenged, uh, when it comes to like left junkies, um, I I think for me that the this comes in in light of like Germany giving away these tanks, uh, the recent tanks that were being uh, hesitant to be shared, and there were these I think which not so much technical but more political optics of why they would be so hesitant to share these tanks when Poland was wanting to share or or give these tanks over, uh, in spite of Germany's hesitancy is I think that this is what they didn't want to look like again, entering war when Germany was in the, at in World War II, one of the main countries that was looked at when the Soviets were there. And this is, uh, for them, like a very sensitive issue of deciding to bring or take over, or get, hand over, uh, uh, war material. And they trying to keep as much as that, like away from that kind of image as possible. And the USA, I think sent about like 30, 30, 30 tanks and Germany sent about 14. And Poland was uh, willing to send 14. So this is all of this is, I'm thinking about this, this conflict in the midst of all of this, um, weapons, uh, manufacturers, uh, and, uh, and, there are areas that I agree with uh, some of the things that I have read um, in what's ahead in the war, from the article that was shared about the strategies, the different strategies and Russia matters. Um, the article that you sent, um, the Scott is... Ritter one, huh?
1: the Scott Ritter one or the other one,
2: the Alex Vershin, Vershin, Vershin. the the Colonel dude.
1: Oh, good, yeah.
2: The, yeah the third the other yeah and so there especially when it comes to the strategy i didn't think of it in this way i'm glad it was outlined as it was but there were territories that russia took in the very beginning and it was very uh seemed a bit like it was on the winning side right in the very beginning that it seemed like and then you have ukraine uh dis- it just taking up it says here like. Shrinking Russian control to roughly fifty percent of the territories they had captured since February the twenty fourth, um, and so their different strategies is what gives me a chance to see what they uh, how this conflict is evolving. Uh, Ukrainian strategy is of like pursuing a terrain focused war of maneuver, and and Russia is more about uh, like slowing down this war to. Make it as long as possible. What I do hear in the mainstream news, CNN, BBC, Fox, is that Russia is losing the war. That's the way that I hear it. That's what I've been been reading as well. It's just as if slowly they are uh, they've captured these, and then 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 suddenly Ukraine recaptured, and then they've fled, and Russian soldiers have Mm -hmm. fled certain territories. And they've even taken even parts that were before, like Crimea, close to Crimea. Crimea. Uh, Sorry, my my pronunciation. Like like the Kyrgyz region, taking over the West Bank area that I'm looking at in the map right now, like even just areas that were mostly Russian-controlled or influenced by the Russian uh, uh, side. And this is what uh, is the narrative that I'm listening to, that this is like victory after victory for Ukraine. This is what I'm hearing uh, now that I'm after reexamining it and an- analyzing what I've, what you've shared and we'll link in the episode notes. It's that it isn't as it is being portrayed. There are casualties on both sides, but it is going to, it is, it is Russia's, I don't know if it's a winning or losing. It's just more of just like Russia's strategy is prolonging to the, to the point where Ukrainian uh, military is getting depleted energetically especially during the winter months this is the the roughest time for them to be in war during the winter because of their extreme weather patterns that exist there and and especially during november and december that was very hard for them and i think it was very well, terrible what in my opinion that uh from what i've understood from the news that russia attacked the uh, sort of energy source for kiev to have uh, their people the and uh, the energy source they needed for heating, which I thought was horrible on their part uh but um uh, i'm I'm not tracking this war with the scrutiny that I feel these writers are or maybe you are Andy I'm just giving a sort of broad uh, uh understanding from a person that's kind of like lay, a person reading this from different sources and uh It's it's this this episode has challenged me on some like the military militaristic um, strategies and 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 ways that uh, people see this from I don't know the point of view of like military like the 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 army right like this is not my uh, my area of expertise or anything I'm not that familiar or versed in these uh, in the language of military but it does give me more perspective and and it also makes me feel connected when i do delve into the specifics of these regions and look at the map and then go back and see where belarus for example just how close it is and how they also are hesitant to participate but then you know they're they've got their own political turmoil and you know as mexican where it in mexico there's a neutral position on it there is no support or for or against so um that's also the other thing that influences me it's not like here where people especially the democrats are pro military funding military funding which i see the changing tide for the republicans are not willing to be so pro military funding as the democrats are uh
1: well I'm so not you're against china <laughs> but...
2: yes yeah uh so that's that's that that's it for now. I also think that what's ignored and what's also connected in the very background is how North Korea is also doing these military exercises and how uh they're supposedly also supplying Russia with sort of I don't know some of the also uh weaponry that they need or something. And and Iran. Right. Yeah. Right. Right? Didn't they find some soldiers
3: or some folks that were also not Russian necessarily? They were not like other foreigners. I, the biggest thing I know of is is the use of drones and uh, what do they call yeah. those, those suicide drones that Iran developed seems to have developed and that Russia might have gotten them from them to strike into uh, parts of Ukraine.
2: Hmm. Um. So that's that's it. That's yeah. what my first uh, impressions are. And that's what I'm just sharing from my point of view.
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe first off, the it, it is literally to a like that that thing you're describing of Russia's losing and you know, Ukraine is advancing. There have been those statements and mm-hmm. you know, the West is the West is like, you know, the incompetent Russian army and you know, they're just doing human wave attacks and putting it out as if you know, there was a number thrown out by a NATO person in Europe that said that 100,000 Ukrainians, soldiers had been killed. Um, that's killed in action. That's not casualties. That's killed. Usually casualties are three times that. Um, but, and and then that number got pulled away. Like they, it was literally swept, they tried to scrub it, you know, when that person had said it in public um, because they don't want that number to be out there. But I think I talked to people who think that. Russia has lost two to three times more than the Ukrainians have lost, um, and that and that's because of the news, you know. And and if that was the case, this that this would be a hands down. If Russia was 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 even equaling Ukrainian losses, or even one to one to two, I would say, like fifty thousand to their hundred thousand, I would say this would be a tremendous victory for the United States in terms of what it wanted, what what it wants to do, because it that the reason they're doing this. Is they are using Ukrainian blood and Ukrainian land to to bleed Russia, and and we have to go back to the 2018 and then the 2022, de- the national defense strategy that basically said the United States sees the major competitors to its to its to the U.S. to the democratic world and to the U.S. Hege- hegemony, which they don't put it that way, but that's what it is, is Russia and China. Now we know China is the major one, but Russia is the secondary, and so. We are. I. The reason I'm so fascinated by this is I feel like I've been paying attention to this since t- at least 2018, and now I'm watching like it's like a, a a flower, a deadly flower opening up, and and also to see the nature of the war that's taking place. Um, this isn't Iraq, like the shock and awe. Although there seems to be, this is trench warfare. This is artillery. This is. Hundreds of thousands of people getting killed in, in a, along front lines. This is slow movement. This this is World War I and World War II again without the nukes, right? And it's a it's fascinating for me to see. Oh my God, here it is again. And even there's an article I sent to you that was the the CSIS the what are those people? Uh, let me hold on. Let me get let me see from the Center for Strategic Internet. And international studies. Uh, this is not an article you may have paid attention to, but they were doing a kind of a summary of okay, where are we at? And they were basically acknowledging that the US is well like does not have an, enough munitions for modern war. And when we when they say modern war, they went back to the using the term industrial war. That's a term of World War I and World War II. Industrial wars, when you use that term, mean that you defeat your enemy. By destroying their industrial base, because their ability to to fight a war is based on what they can produce. And that means you have to destroy the cities, um, and that's the nature. That's the nature of World War One. That's the nature of World War Two, um, and we're now seeing United States, Russia, China, Iran, Germany, France, and all those people who were talked about being drawn in to what I looks like an industrial war. And as the United States I think is struggling, they're already talking about, in that article at least, how do they win this, but also be prepared for a second front in, 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 in China and Taiwan to fight industrial wars. And so I feel like, again, the reason I'm so enthralled by this is it seems to confirm everything that I have thought about the the, the deadly nature of what, what is being uh, entered into here. Um, and also that what Jessica said about all these red lines that the U.S. is, like they said, well, we're not gonna send missiles and you know things that can do long range missiles, but then they sent the HIMARS and they sent artillery that could shoot long range. And that was their first red line. And now they're crossing another red line of sending tanks. And they're already talking about while the U.S. is saying we're not sending our own F-16s, we we are not going to stop the United the other countries that we would give F-16s to to give some of their weapons, some of their um, planes to. So all these lines that are being crossed, to me, uh, again, indicate or are part of an, indi- an indication that things are not going well and that the only thing that these powers can do in the context of not going things not going well is escalate because that's what these things are. And that's what they must do. Um, and so I watch it and I'm fascinated by it, terrified by it, but it it's um it, it seems to be a confirmation of everything that I felt, like what where this war leads. Um I'll just say that the I, I am very I'm the the authors of most of the people I, I read, the Scott Ritter, Colonel, Colonel douglas mcgregor the duran history legends as a youtuber who put some stuff out um, and then some of these resources you've seen definitely say the opposite of what the mainstream news says they would say and while they while they would say that russia got bloodied early in because they would say because russia was looking to to move into nato move into ukraine to basically bring them to the table so they could get a settlement early on and then the ukraine Ukraine has been has built built up as a defense fort for the last eight years, and Russia fell into that kind of trap. So they did take some losses early on, and so what Russia has done is regrouped. They've mobilized a, a larger number of soldiers and a larger number of equipment, and built themselves into a war economy um, that can essentially, for every six thousand munitions that the that the uh, artillery shells that the Ukrainians fire. They can fire back sixty thousand. It's anywhere from nine to one to ten to one. That's another reason why that that hundreds of thousands of Russian soldiers doesn't make any sense. The numbers that I believe that I've seen on other things are are roughly two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand casualties on the side of uh, of Ukraine, and up to about twenty thousand casualties. Maybe and I guess I would say one hundred fifty thousand to two hundred thousand killed for Ukrainian, and up to about. 15 to 20,000 killed for for Russia which is a big number um uh, but I think they're prepared to do it because they think this is an existential threat to have nato right on their border and the thing that was interesting in reading some of this was to see the degrees to which us had built such an amazing defense perimeter in ukraine and and built it in such a way that it was going to force a kind of war like this that russia is fighting and but Russia's prepared to fight it um and to Essentially, see all the things that I again I feel like echoes of World War One and World War II return now. Um, is I, I just find I can't turn away from it in terms of looking at it. Um, where I see things like the stuff I was telling you about in terms of the what's going on in Bakhmut and Soledar is just this general strategy, and there that people are talking about Russia doing it, doing a major offensive with the forces that it's bringing from its mobilization. Uh, that it happened since the the summer, or spring, or fall. Maybe the mobilization was in the fall. Um, but what the what Russia has been doing is is fighting along that entire front, the Donetsk front. And they did give up ground in in Kharkov. They did give up ground in Kherson. But in both those cases, they gave up land to, to to minimize the losses because the reason for those offensives that that that, that Ukraine went on was to try to like actually capture. Military pieces, but also cut off troops and kill them, and that was not successful. They they withdrew in both on both fronts, and in Kursan in particular, they withdrew and pummeled them with artillery as they withdrew. And so this was a this was this guy. I didn't send this to you, but there was a soldier who's fighting in Ukraine, who's part of the Australian force, who basically said the, the the Ukrainians lost a bunch of forces chasing, building up that. Essentially, chasing the Russians out of Kherson, and are not in any position to do a new offensive, largely because now what's happened in places like Saladar and Bakhmut is this is again another World War One analogy that the one guy used of Verdun, where the Germans basically took a position someplace and the the French had to come into it, and in doing so, it basically meant that the Germans could kill as many French as they possibly could as French tried to retake very difficult ground to retake, and that's what's going on in Bakhmut is. Russia is slowly encircling Bakhmut. That, that is the second, the first line of defense that the U.S. has built up since 2014 or 2016 when they did the coup. Um, that line has been shattered. They are now at the second line of defense, which Bakhmut represents the central part of that second line of defense um, against Russia. And that place is seen as vitally important to, to maintain as probably one of the best defensible places if they're going to fight the Russians. And that is being slowly encircled. And as it gets encircled, Ukraine has to bring in more and more forces. They get shelled, people die. Then they they put more more um, uh, forces in. Again, uh, this one guy, this one military guy who is in southern Bakhmut, basically is saying that his um, brigade was, was depleted eighty percent losses of just his Brigade, which that that is like twenty percent losses of. of of units is actually something that really destabilizes it. Eighty percent, I don't even know what to say about. but he's just saying we are taking heavy losses. And again, you got to remember what's being reported is that Russia is coming along in human wave attacks in that region. And he's saying no, it's the it's not it's not even the opposite. Russia is being and and the Wagner group and the Wagner group and things like that is being very thoughtful about how they come in and making sure that whenever they come in, they have artillery to support themselves that the casualty rates for us is way higher than it is for the for our for our opponent but we have to keep bringing putting forces in there to defend this strate- strategically important place and it's basically what they describe as a meat grinder because russia is destroying as many ukrainian forces in this bakhmut as they can while they encircle it and then when those def- defenses are cracked there's only one final line of defense um and it's not a very good line of defense and that's in a situation where ukrainian forces have been vastly depleted as you read in that one thing they've already they've essentially gone through three phases of artillery they had their initial artillery that they had as the ukrainian army that was destroyed then they they regave them new um new stuff that was old uh, russian stuff and old soviet stuff from other countries and that they had uh, stored out in other places all that's been destroyed and now they're in a third wave of trying to give them u.s nato new arms And again, the the belief is is that this stuff's going to be destroyed, particularly because, as you saw, there's so much different stuff. And you have to train people to use this different stuff and the logistics for it. Um, And so it just looks like an entire state is going to get destroyed uh, in this, like Ukraine, in this battle. Um, And the prognosis from the people who are opposed to what the U.S. is doing in here is that Russia is going to have a decisive victory. Um, I do believe Russia is going to be very, very successful in the coming months um, in killing Ukrainians and in destroying material and in even taking land. Um, the part I disagree with is that it, it doesn't end in Ukraine. This war has always been about United States versus Russia. And so on the horizon, on the horizon is already Polish reserves being called up, Romanian reserves being called up, U.S. forces being stationed in, Ru- in Romania, U.S. forces being stationed in Poland, European forces being talked about, being put in uh, next to that theater. And so I I don't see this war ending. I do see Russia having a breakthrough and Russia having its own escalation that will then force a move on the part of the United States and NATO to make it so that Russia cannot win. Um, and the situation I, 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 believe we're in is a situation that Russia cannot afford to lose this, this, this battle and the U S cannot afford to lose this battle. This is not like Afghanistan where they can walk out. I feel like we are now big powers are coming up against each other and neither can lose. And so the one area that I disagree with that the people who I'm reading for it, they just think the U S the Russia is going to win so decisively that it's going to force the U.S. to get Zelensky or the government to, to negotiate. And I don't see that. I think the U.S. has to escalate, has to create a situation. Even if the Zelensky government gets destroyed and gets taken out, even by its own military, which is one you know thing that people say might happen, I think we're going to see somehow the U.S. is going to do something with Poland. And there's no way that U.S. can allow Russia to win in that region. And that's why I think like, this war has to expand and it has, it will, it is World War III and and each thing of escalation that people said couldn't happen has happened. And I think we should think deeply about what that means for where these things escalate to. And that's what's fascinating me about this because for all our talk of transhumanism and web three and whatever, I just feel this whole thing clears the board like of the planet of humans. And so what are we talking about? Like who's worried about transhumanism when basically all the cities have been destroyed by nuclear, whatever.
1: So do you see that as like the only, when you say like neither power can lose and it has to escalate, yeah. do you see nuclear as the only
3: yes. way that's, that, that's, that
1: that's Because like thing we kind of keep that, pouring like weapons indefinitely.
3: Yeah. That's the thing that, each of the people I've listened to, Duran, and Scott Ritter is probably the person who's most worried about it and says, this might end in a cinder. But the other guys all seem to think that there's going to be a pullback at some point. And I think they all think that this, these wars are driven by policies, by administrations, by people. And they are not. They are, this war, I believe, is being driven by a system. And there's no choice but victory when, the system is in a, when, a, when a global system is in a deep crisis and the only way to get out of that crisis is some kind of victory and some kind of defeating your opponent. Um, and so that's, that's the difference, is that the, I think the people I'm paying attention to believe that policymakers can potentially be in control of decisions here and can basically walk back from that last moment. And that, that's, World War, for me, World War I and World War II show that that's not true. And I think we're seeing it again.
1: Do you, do you call it a proxy war, Andy? or Because I feel like you've been critical of that.
3: No, I, I would. I mean, the, <laughs> I do think of it as a proxy war, but it's, it, it's drawing more and more obviously those people who are using Ukraine as a proxy into that war. I would still call it a proxy war, but I've talked about it this way, which is Ukraine is a U.S. proxy to fight Russia. I sometimes think Russia is a Chinese proxy to fight the U.S. Because the one, the, the, the one power that's sitting pretty, even though it's got some economic issues, right now is China. And China made that agreement early on with Russia about, hey, we got your back, dude. Go ahead and do what you need to do. We'll support you. And they have been. But to me, this is very interesting. This is a very similar role that the United States played in both World War I and World War II as they sat back and let the fucking sides destroy each other and said, here we go. We'll take it next. And that's what Russia, that's what I see China doing. And again, you can say, oh, well, China's going to win. I don't see it that way because U.S. can't lose. I don't see how a U.S. power that has all these nuclear weapons, they're not going to let themselves lose with those things in the silos and in their submarines. No way. The only way that happens is a revolution inside the country, like the, the real January 6th, that like takes that shit away from them and says, we're taking it out of your hands. That's the only way this gets stopped.
1: Let me grab my pitchfork.
3: <laughs> so this that's what's been fascinating me about this. And I feel like the things I'm reading, and particularly to see that the U.S. is now in the context, in my opinion, of them recognizing that their hand is getting worse and worse in Ukraine, that now you see them beginning to talk about how they have to right now pivot to China. Like There's, there's military guys coming out and saying, well, we gotta prepare for a war within one to two years with China. Like that has all the hallmarks of a of a power embattled. But then what has to do with Germany does? Open up a second front. That's what they had to do. They thought they were just gonna fight with the Russians. Didn't work out that way. They had to open up a second front. Didn't go so well for them. Didn't go so well for Napoleon either. And that's and that's what the United States is openly saying that they're gonna do a two front industrial, all industrial war with big powers, against big powers. And they think that they're gonna marshal Netherlands and Germany and Japan, Israel, definitely Israel is gonna be part of that. You know, and that's partly what's being tested now is Israel, are you with us or are you with Russia?
2: Mm. You know, and this also comes, I, Switzerland just recently began their sirens. They just, uh, this today, I think it was, I wish I could check, but my internet is down. Uh, they're siren testing what they used back in World War Two. I mean, I mean, I I hate to think that you know politicians who are in the know are preparing for what's to come. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't wish, and I've said it in other other episodes. I do wish. I mean I don't wish a, a nuclear a nuclear weapon be used but, but it is being even in science with like nuclear fusion the wave of new energy that's being designed mostly for military use I'm sure
3: and and people who are against this war are going to I believe are going to see in the coming months Russian advances and Russian victories and I think they're partially going to celebrate that as a defeat for the U.S. And it, it partly is. It really is a defeat for Ukraine. But a defeat for right now for Ukraine is a defeat for the U.S. and the West. And they're going to think, oh, if Russia gets over enough, then this thing will get settled and the war will be over. And that's where I think the people who are on my side of this question have got it wrong. It's like uh, there's nothing to celebrate. And I don't mean that in a moral way or even, oh, dead people are dying. Of course people are dying. I mean, I think a system's in play here. And there's no chance that the US the US cannot be defeated here. And if it is defeated, it has to destroy the planet before it gets defeated. Any really like that's that's the situation Putin had. This is why all the all the war gaming that they had done always like when they did the NATO war plan when war planners always talked about this things ending in nuclear war because Putin was going to lose. Putin could not possibly defeat NATO on the on the ground. It now looks like actually the Russian military is in a much better position than what they thought, but it works in reverse as well. If they know that Putin has to use nuclear weapons rather than lose a conventional war, then what do you think that means for, quote, our side? If the West is losing a conventional war, particularly when we're the, like the US in particular is the only side that is actually said explicitly, we are, we are, we are, one, we are prepared to do first strike if we have to, and we're willing to do first strike even if um, we're not threatened by a nuclear threat. If, we're, if, it's like, if it's a threat that we think is large enough to our national security interests, we, we reserve the right to use our nuclear weapons. That was part of the National Defense Strategy of 2022. So if that's already on the, on the books it's stated, what do you think that power says when they're about to lose? They've already said it. So. They, they know that Putin will lose nuclear weapons if, if, if that regime is faced with a crisis of its own existence, but that's true for the West and for the United States as well. So I don't see how, if they both can't afford to lose, how does this end other than nuclear war unless we stop our own governments? And that doesn't just mean us in the United States. That does also mean the Russian working class. Because there's nothing to, there's nothing to support there. It's not about fighting Nazis. It's not about Stefan Bandera, which I think that that's a cover, right? I mean, the very interesting thing that I read in, um, in one of the articles that was uh, talking about Russia, and in a somewhat sympathetic way, saying, "Well, the Russians have this mystique about World War II that they, it was the good war for them. They fought the Nazis. And I was like, duh, who else has that? What other country has this mystique about itself? But they fought the good war and fought the Nazis. Everyone has gotten rich fighting the Nazis and gotten and gotten powerful fighting the Nazis. It wasn't about that. It was about taking land. The Nazis were a cover for it. They existed. But the whole system is, in, in a sense, deeply built on racism, sexism, all those horrible oppressions that we that we uh, said the fascists and the Nazis were so were so uh, militarism. That's our system. That's capitalism, dude. That's just capitalism when it gets fucking, when it's had a bad day and has a headache. So the, our system is essentially a fascistic system, particularly when it goes into crisis. When it's not in crisis, it doesn't, it doesn't appear so like, like that. But COVID showed a lot of its talents that it has. Um, And I think we're, we're now seeing even sharper claws come out in war.
2: You know, that's what I. When you say identity that this is no, not, and either side is willing to lose, I, 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 uh, I be. I don't know how do I frame it. How do I say? It? Um, I, I also began thinking that this was the U.S.S. War. Well, Of course, I thought, but like, how do how can people not think that this is the U.S.S. War when? they're using Ukrainians to fight the war, but everything is, they're being trained by the U.S. military. They are being used by the U.S. military. They're being given weapons by the U.S. military. They're being given strategy, uh, strategic uh, ways to use, to fight Russia. They're even going to be given, if they have to, pretend, given give, it, give to Ukrainian military nuclear weapons, except I'm sure being launched by U.S. Americans secretly who are hiding under the guise of like i'm ukrainian right like the russia is not stupid that this is a war between nato the usa and them even though they're fighting ukrainians this is a war between nato and the, the usa and russia ah uh, so it is like if russia loses they will want to lose against nato and the usa and NATO and the USA won't want to lose against Russia. And if we're all believing it's a Ukrainian fight. I mean, everyone's putting up their flags. I just saw it with my nephew just yesterday we're walking down Folsom Street um, in San Francisco. I stand with Ukraine. I stand with the USA. <laughs> fight It's really what's going on here. <laughs> you know, but that's what the message is. We were all supposed to in the very beginning of last year, as Jess noted, because we're in, coming up with this anniversary, we're all supposed to be in support of the Ukrainians because we stand for liberation. I mean, I think in an episode as well, I said, I'm guilty of saying, you know, I stand for everyone's liberation. And if that's the Ukrainians want that liberation, then if this is their fight, I support it. But the more we've delved into this, it's it's obviously not. And I said that in the same way that I, I would say anybody, right, but, I'm, but I, I, I guess it didn't belong in the episode because I still believe anyone should fight for their liberation, but it didn't belong in the episode because this is not a Ukrainian liberation fight. This is this is two mega powers deciding competitively who's going to win, pretending it's the Ukrainian war. But I I am I mean I I mean I'm doubtful some you know the pitchfork or the the January sixth illusion uh, uh, this uh, um the- what you alluded to i right? I'm doubtful that we would even stop our government because I mean that's what I think we should do because of the narrative that is controlled that's being given to us as I shared in the very beginning of my reflections that I think what we're being told is the ukrainians are winning the Russians are fleeing, all this sort of thing that were being given to the mainstream news and even alternative sources. So, and then all the torture and the Ukraine, and someone came out just recently, the Russian, someone who in the BBC I was looking at, uh, said that uh, he's embarrassed, ashamed of being part of the Russian army and has seen torture on part of the Ukrainians, which gives more sympathy hope for the Ukrainian war because it uh, it makes us want to stay in this fight just in the same way i think uh like the afghan women are used to be able for folks to stay in the afghan war i still think obviously the afghan women are 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 being um, mistreated and also sex in a sexist way being oppressed but it it's being used to weaponize folks to stay in these wars and such torture is also being used by this army official who decided to come out and say that uh ukrainians were tortured under his watch and also under his observations it's being given the sympathy vote to continue this war it's yeah, funny how... go ahead
1: no sorry edward go ahead
2: no it's just funny how like people are tricked into continuing wars right like every war that we've been a part of whether it's world war two world even like the cold war and let's not go too far even like the iraq war with the weapons of mass destruction the 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 the, the pool for us to stay in it to convince the public is also part of the strategic force, right? Like it's part of like you. In order for us to to keep like going for more than how do they keep us for what twenty years, eighteen years in the Afghan in the in the Middle East? Like you have to be able to feed the public yeah. to keep being there, right? You have to be able to convince us and so showing these tortured uh, images and stuff like of what happens in ukraine is what's going to keep people like we have to stay in this for the ukrainians right it's what we have to do it's the moral obligation we have to do it for them sorry jess you were saying
1: no i mean i was gonna kind of say the same thing like i just think especially people who are i guess like my age or younger you know I mean I was like in middle school uh when nine eleven happened I mean it's like has there been a day in my life when we haven't been at war in some capacity and I, I agree with what you said earlier Andy about like this not being Iraq but I I I think it's a good point, you know, the, like the Afghanistan 20 year example that Eduardo just gave, like, just in the way that like the American public has been fucking trained to just accept that like, oh yeah, those, you know, international wars going on over there and yes, you know, here's my taxpayer dollars, right? And they don't rise up and they don't question it. And I don't think a lot of people, including the people with the Ukrainian flags who are like the loudest you know, um, democratic imperialists in our nation are really, I mean, I don't think many of them are paying super close attention, like on the level that you are, Andy, where I like, I feel like we need to get you one of those giant, like 3d, (laughs) like in the movies, the war time to move this here and that here. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm joking. I'm laughing, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, some of these articles, just like reading about, even though I don't know, you know, the specific weapons and stuff, like I really have a visceral reaction to them because it's it's all just, you know, it sounds like a fucking game, and it's not, you know. I mean, like you're talking about, like I mean, we don't know the the real casualty numbers, but it's a lot of fucking people. Um. So yeah, I I don't have much talk. I don't know about the Russian people but I don't have much much talk in the American people to stop this. I mean, we we've spent the past couple years letting the government, you know, poison our children, uh, brainwash everybody, poison the environment, right? Like, they just walk all over all of us all the time. So, I mean, maybe if a nuclear war did happen, the survivors would... <laughs> <laughs> maybe get up off their ass but uh, yeah i i don't i don't know like I, I feel like we've gotten dumber and it it's crazy like even just this most recent like couple of videos the past few weeks like i know there was the um economist interview with the general colonel i don't yeah. know the the, the the Ukrainian head military guy um and then like zelensky's you know, little infomercial where, you know, he's asking for, okay, like, thank you very much. We got our tanks, but um, now we'd like some more long range missiles and we'd like some aircraft, we'd like some F-16 fighter jets, right? It's like, it's like, he's like sitting, you know, flipping through a Raytheon or Boeing, like catalog, literally being like, yes, I'd like this for Valentine's day and this for Valentine's day, you know? Um, like, it's really wild to watch, especially like if you think back to like what, you know, the Biden quote that I was referencing earlier about like, even, you know, and if nobody, you know, obviously is a politician, like whatever, it, all it is is broken promises and lies, right? Like for since the beginning of time. But I don't know, to, I maybe I've just gotten more skeptical and smarter, but I feel like the war propaganda has gotten more and more overt over the years, you know, um, but it, 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 it still works. It's still working. So here, uh, since you've been covering, since you've been kind of studying like the the military logistics more closely, Andy, like, this is a bleak question, but like, what do you think a nuclear weapon being used or nuclear war would look like, <laughs> like actually.
3: I'm that I definitely, here's, I definitely don't know. I'll say a few things that I've seen or read. Uh, first off, I did see what Whitney Webb was saying. um And I, to me, I don't know if she said the term false flag, but I think what she is bringing up is entirely realistic, but in the context of false flag, Gulf of Tonkin, 9 11, uh, the Pearl Harbor, um, where basically it really looks like FDR kind of pushed Japan to the point of having to fight and then put out the red meat of, of Pearl Harbor out there, knowing that they had enough of their fleet out of there that they could survive, but then they could draw the rest of the U S public into that war if they were attacked. So when I think about what the U S would do, I think of nuclear false flag, but the only problem with that to me is, um, that first strike is really important, um, it, you know, uh, and but I don't and I've heard that generals talk about winning a nuclear war on the side of the United States where the U.S. takes a basically up to about 100, 100 million casualties, you know, but we win. So I've heard that. And then last are those simulations that say that the nuclear war starts, limited nuclear war starts in Europe. And then spreads with the use of U.S. and Russia launching missiles on each other. Um, that That is how I would see that whole thing unfolding. I don't believe in the limited nuclear war that doesn't involve bombs, many, many bombs dropping on many, many cities. That's the thing I would say I don't believe. And that's the way that some people are talking about it. Like you could possibly use these things just in a military theater almost like taking out you know artillery pieces and things like that. I don't believe that nuclear war can ever be confined to that place. It,
1: they can't are. even do like individual drone strikes without killing <laughs> civilians.
3: Well, I mean you could say well we're going to stay out of cities with these things, but I just don't Oh great. They, so they'll just <laughs> Yeah, but if they if they get used there inevitably whoever whoever takes the bad end of that exchange is going to then escalate to something that is not just on the military theater. It's going to have to, again, go back to the recognition that we are fighting an industrial war and must destroy our opponent's industrial base. And and one of the ways that Russia is going to, one of the ways I think they will try to get us more ginned up to this war is Russia is going to have to destroy the cities that they go through. And they are doing that. Like, if you look at the, it is, it, it they're just, they're just, it's like World War One and World War Two things you saw with facades of buildings that are half up. I mean, they're, it's just artillery after artillery barrage in order to save soldiers and to not die, have as many soldiers killed. Um, because you want to kill the other side more than you want your side to die. And no one's using human wave attacks as far as I understand. Like, there have been both both sides have accused themselves of doing that. I don't think either side is looking to lose soldiers, um, but that but this is the, the the weapons are deadly, and so many people are dying in a fairly short period of time, and so I do think it's going to it, you will certainly see pictures of destroyed towns and cities, and they will be true, and that will be a sign of Russian victory or Russia be winning. Because that's what they're going to do as they roll up the Ukrainian, the rest of the Ukrainian army, because they are attempting to create a safe border where NATO and U.S. can't operate. And they no longer, they believe that there isn't, that they're fighting U.S. and and NATO by fighting Ukraine, because Ukraine has said we are NATO proxies. And so they have to do that, like, because that's the war. Um, It's not good, but that's, that's just the nature of the war.
1: And China will just sit and watch.
3: Well, I think the U.S. This is the part. Like, I think the U.S. knows that they have to get China involved because time is not on the U.S. side when it when it relates to competing with China. And so they have to. China is sitting. I do think China is sitting pretty, and I think the U.S. knows China is sitting pretty. And so they've got to involve. They've got to. No, we're going to punch you in the nose. We're going to. You got to get your nose bloody. And that's why I think they're they've put the time the, the time scale forward because. If the U.S. just waits and waits back in World War I or World War II, things don't get harder for the United States the longer these two sides destroy each other, Europe and and Germany and Russia. It gets easier. And that's the situation China's in right now, as I see it. And so the U.S., that's why I think the U.S. is now talking. It seems crazy, but that's why I think they're now having military folks run up the timescale for when they think they'll be engaging China in military conflict, because they have to draw them in. Because their, their military is only going to get stronger as both the U.S. and to some extent Russia gets depleted, but the U.S. is going to get depleted. And the other thing we're going to hear about is U.S. is going to be w- moving much more to a war economy um, and munitions develop, like building munitions, turning. I mean, I think we're talking about the, in World War II, turning car factories into tank and munitions building factories so I think well, we're
1: gonna driving cars anyway, so right
3: <laughs> So I think those are the, some of the developments we're gonna hear about. I think I heard that the u s. felt like they had to have a five-fold increase in the amount of artillery um shells that they were getting out because they're way behind in what they were. and then they've depleted their stocks in many ways from what they thought they had and now they're gonna have to like become a war economy. So I do think that's what what the United States is going to move more towards.
1: Imagine the emergency powers that are going to come down the pipeline. I mean, obviously the physical threat posed by nuclear war um, being primary, but Jesus, like we haven't seen anything yet.
3: Well, it was certainly a softening on the health area. Now war will be in. And then the the climate, like it's just wave after wave. It's various fronts by which people are being assaulted and told you don't control your own future. We're going to, we're going to determine your future for you, whether it's for your health, whether it's because of the war, whether it's because of the environment, it's just going to, it's, they just have many, many ways by which to talk about control, ex- exhibiting control over us.
1: What this is, I feel like this is probably just a, like not a super important topic, at least in so far as you're kind of framing this whole thing, Andy, but I haven't followed this whole thing with the Ukrainian bio labs closely, but I did, I know those documents came out this week and a lot of people on like the independent right are kind of, you know, all abuzz about this. Have you, is that something you've been following? Is it, is it no. a distraction in your mind or?
3: No, but I, I will say, and I do want to do an episode on a, a I can't remember the woman's name, a person whose theory about, Understanding Pfizer and Big Pharma as much more a product and captured by Department of Defense than something that's done regulatory capture on the U.S. state. She she has a notion of Moderna, Pfizer, like all the the entire pharmaceutical industry as essentially a wing of the Department of Defense, and I think that's that's probably right. Um, and it's even all though Pentagon
1: I think, shit. With the I mean, I haven't looked into it closely, but it's all pentagon involvement in those
3: certainly yeah and and i think i think her theory and i I, this is why i'd like to maybe we can either do an episode on on either her she did a podcast thing or a thing um on youtube um but i would also want to reach out to see if she'd be interested in being interviewed i don't know how open she is to somebody where we're a smaller channel but if we she wouldn't do an interview i'd certainly like us to look at it and see what we made of her theory, because I know it's somewhat controversial. In fact, um, a listener of ours, a person who bought a shirt, was like, "Wait, what is this woman talking about?" Like, pharma is like running the show on a lot of this stuff, and she's kind of talking about other interests is running the show. And and I kind of really think that when I think about the United States, when I think about the forces in play here, I think the military industrial, the, the military, and the Department of Defense is much more an engine for how things go then pharmaceutical industry, or even Silicon Valley. You know, how many times do we always come back to DARPA? And so ultimately everything is about war, not just war making abroad, but war making at home. Because those things are, I do believe those are connected. And the more they make war abroad, they have to do war at home in order
1: to, to be successful in it.
3: So I, I
2: don't know much about that biolab stuff, though. Yes. I was thinking, what if the USA didn't, wouldn't continue this way? They would just drop out completely. It's it's really upsetting to think that even, maybe this is my speculation, but that
3: Russia would just continue then expanding itself. The- Well, the reason I think the U.S. can't do that is because a Russian victory would basically be a victory for BRICS. It would basically mean that the U.S. would no longer be seen as a power that can decide, that can rule the world through fear and through, you know, carrots and sticks. Um, It's one thing to lose in in Iraq and Afghanistan, but to lose to a big power when you have set yourself against them as the, you have set that power as the existential threat to your continuing and you lose to them, Russia's not going to advance beyond that. Russia's just going to collect all the all the accolades of the victor. And Russia and China will then basically be like, "Okay, here comes uh, what's that? The 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 Belt and Road Initiative. It's going to find itself red right in fucking Panama." That's what's going to happen. The US will find itself encircled by Russia and China's economic interests. And they know that. And then before you know it, their hypersonic missiles are going to, you know, be in a situation where and the the Chinese fleet is going to is going to restrict where the US can go eventually. And that that's, that's where this stuff's supposed to lead. So it's, it's not Russia military advancing. You, Russia will be like, yeah, we, we'll, we'll negotiate a settlement. Of course, we're taking all the land we want. NATO can't be in, but Russia will impose harsh terms that will be seen decisively as a defeat for the United States and NATO. That will still leave even Ukraine intact even, and could even see Ukraine still have a way out through Odessa in terms of being able to get a port. But Russia will make it clear to the world that the U.S. and NATO lost when, because of how far this war has gone, and because of that, when the U.S. is seen as a loser, everyone is going to fade away. Everyone who said they were afraid of the United States and wanted to cut a deal with them is going to start talking to Russia and, and China, and, it, and the world is going to be BRICS world, and then it's really going to be China's world. What do you, you mean, BRICS? It's BRICS. Just. Uh, the brazil russia india china south africa that's the economic alternative to, G- to g7 g7 is like bye you guys don't even matter anymore wef fuck off yeah and that's a and in some ways people went like, oh that's good what wef but no i mean it is good but it it's the battle between hegemons That's where I, this is where i differ with the new world order people I don't think there's a collaboration to put a, a prison around the globe. I do think there's sides being drawn. And that's why if you if you listen to the World Economic Forum, you didn't hear people talking about there wasn't a side, there was a Ukraine panel. Was there anything that was representing Russian position on that? Not at all. World Economic Forum was quite clear in saying Russia must be defeated. Ukraine must be independent. Liberation. And so that's that's that. They're, a he- they're basically an outlet of a U.S. Hege- hege- hegemony project. And if that goes down, then IMF buy, World Bank buy, WEF buy, and it's you know the RGB, the other, the other digital currency that's going to come through India and China. And we'll be spending money on that and, and trapped in their prison, but there will still be a war. I mean, the fact is, it's just not stable. The U.S. is not going to lose. They can't lose like that. They they
2: they gotta everyone's gotta lose. Oh my <laughs>
1: mm. it's time to start
2: prepping. <laughs> start growing your food.
3: <laughs> Save I, your seeds and move to Idaho. Yeah, this is just I appreciate <laughs> you both listening. I mean, it's just, just a place for me to think it through and for you to hear how I'm seeing it. Um, this is why I pay so much attention to it. It's just I can't I can't turn away. I'm not asking you guys to, uh, you know, people to enjoy me in this in terms of looking at it. But I, I am going to occasionally be like, hey, let me look at this again and see where things are at. Because this is what's on my mind.
2: Right. I do think there's validity in what you're saying that beyond Web3 and Transhumanism and everything else. There is, you no, know, there, there's um, a world to look after. If otherwise, there's nothing that we have left.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, I don't think your analysis necessarily like negates. I mean, there's obviously ways in which, at least in its current form, this war project does serve i mean it's it, it's always this way right i mean it's that's part of what makes it hard to unpack like oh what's the underlying yeah. thing right which like you know you've outlined kind of your theory on that but i mean with anything there's always like multiple arms right i mean it's like um it serves you know it serves the project of american imperialism and nato imperialism right it serves industry um on, you know, multiple, like, weapons industry, of course, but also, like, the U.S. Um, energy industry being potentially threatened, right, like, to the point where they'll blow up Russia's pipeline. Um, and I think, I mean, there are there are a lot of ways in which this war project does serve the, the larger, like, globalist, WEF-type, transnational, um, you know, these types of, like, bodies that are, Trying to carry out the the fourth industrial revolution, I guess. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if 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 we go to nuclear war, if, yeah, I mean they're going to have less less slaves, I suppose. <laughs> Although they'll probably be be more effective in in <laughs> enslaving those who remain
3: or survive. Yeah, them up. and I. Like, who was the dude who did the dimming, the The guy who did the dimming documentary? What was, what was who was he? What was his name? Do you remember?
1: It's a picture of face.
3: Yeah. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, okay. But, you know, he was, look, he's looking into all that bioengineering because he really sees that everything that's happening is is an existential threat to humanity. And I don't actually disagree with him, you know? I'm looking at this because I look at this as an existential threat to humanity. He's looking at that because he, and I, I actually agree with him. And then Allison's looking at what she's looking at. Cause she's like, this is a threat to humanity. And I agree with her. I'm just, this is just my lane that I'm looking at. And it just looks a particular way to me. Um, and I just feel like I just see other people who they have found their thing that is just terrifying them. And so they look at it and they pay attention to it and they, they obsess about it. that's not a criticism that they should and so this is this just apparently is the thing that i'm going to be looking at and sharing with you and others um because there are a lot of different ways that this world is getting fucked over
1: yeah i mean i uh, obviously some people are more right in their analysis of the world and their priorities than others but i mean there i think out of the things you just named like there's elements of truth to all of them and In one sense, what's really scary is the ways in which they overlap. I mean, we were just, like, I'm teaching an ecofeminism class and we've been reading Rachel Carson and talking about the chemical companies, you know, back in, like, mid-20th century um, and the parallels she draws to, like, nuclear radiation and, like, how far-reaching the poisoning, you know, poisoning of the groundwater and all of, you know, just the war i mean i would call it a war being waged on the american people and then and then globally as well on the human population and you just think about all the overlaps with i mean even just even just the damage of like the tanks and the long range missiles and all of that shit um ecologically in terms of human cost in terms of taxpayer money right um but then you think about a nuclear weapon right and it's like there's there's overlap between all of these different issues um yeah it's war in the skies war in war in the water and then war in the in the trenches too yeah Jane Wiggington is the deming guy by the way okay.
0: yep
3: so hmm. I
1: just well.
2: think
3: it speaks to the fact that That's why this system, this thing has to, all of us in our areas around the world have to stop our rulers and stop what they're doing and try to, stopping it first, but also it really is, we have to build an alternative. I guess I have to put it that way, is figure out what, what, how do humans really, how do we really want to live as humans and start doing that and be prepared to stop the people who are going to like come in and mess our stuff up.
1: Do you think, like, I don't know, what would it take for the American public to be genuinely scared of their war? Because I don't think they are. Otherwise, there would be, like, a robust anti-nuclear movement, even if it was a small one.
3: Um, There's going to be a demonstration in Washington, D.C. about this war on February 16th, I think. The 15th mm. or 16th. I think that'll be interesting to see what kind of... I mean, that's just a numbers game at this point, just to see who's paying attention. But that's in that case, so that's important. Um, I don't know the answer to that though. Um, but I do believe, I do believe that there are, you know, when they talk about how many different ways people can die from a heart attack, but they completely leave out the the vac, the, the shot, but they talk about setting your alarm wrong or exercising too much, you know, all that kind of stuff.
1: Gardening.
3: Gardening. Jesus. Right. So, I mean, I do believe this the absurdity of some of this stuff. I th- I think something's gonna start to I mean, particularly among poor people and people who don't have much of a stake in the system in the first place. But how do we, how do we turn that into something that moves and and builds itself? I don't know. But I do think pe- people are kind of like disbelieving some of the stuff that that they were believing before and thinking that they were told some lies. I I think, you know, I'm not optimistic. I mean, that's the thing. I look forward to seeing you Jessica
1: and Hopefully and- I can get this San Francisco visit in before,
3: before. No. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I so still holy. think the time frame my time frame <laughs> for this is a little longer but it feels inevitable. It feels inevitable unless we stop it. That's how it feels to me
1: dark shit
3: so, love the people you know now and continue to do that tomorrow that's the le- that's the lesson in general but it's just a reminder that that's what you gotta do
2: anyhow alright well that was very bleak and pessimistic see what the Thank audience you. thinks Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's see what the audience says. And we invite folks to comment, to share, and see what their thoughts are. Or if they challenge whatever that was discussed here, they can. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, that does it for this week's episode. And What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests in the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you've heard here, if you think we're still worth being around, given how um, Andy's pessimistic ways of sharing news and information and his analysis, <laughs> please subscribe, rate to view, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on it's Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, obviously YouTube, Rumble or Telegram. Uh, and you can find our blog in any of those links in the from wherever you found this episode. <laughs> If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Jessica and Andy Lipson. Uh, we say hi to you, Kenny, Cepeda, wherever you're at. Hopefully you'll listen to this and uh, we'll see you next time. Ciao.